Good morning, this is the Eager Beaver Show. You are listening to a True North Eager Beaver Media Podcast. The True North Eager Beaver podcasts are proudly brought to you by our founding sponsors, the Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, your source for science fiction, fantasy, and cozy mysteries featuring a broad diversity of characters. CanadianTarot.com, your uniquely Canadian online eclectic tarot community and forum, and the Peppermaster, hot pepper sauces made from fresh farm ingredients to thrill your taste buds and expand your mind. Well, good morning and hello, kids, and welcome to season three and episode number 280 of the Daily Beaver Morning Show, also episode number 40 of the True North Eager Beaver Interview Project. Today, recording day is Tuesday, December 19th for broadcast on Monday, December 25th, Christmas Day. And do we have a present for you, kids and cubs? I am your host. The Eager Beaver pronouns he, him, hey, Mr. Beaver A, and with me as always is my good friend, Mr. Grizzly. A big thank you goes to our podcast's founding sponsors, The Pepper Master, The Miss Fee Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, and CanadianTarot.com. We have a very special interview for you today because, or well, more of a conversation really, because just yesterday, as appeared in the news, a big legal decision has come down. Now, if you may recall, over the course of the summer, particularly at Pride Month, there was a big uptick in, how can we say, anti-2SLGBTQ hate online and on the street, particularly when it came to trans children. Mm -hmm. Lots of protests, and pretty much anybody online who was standing in defense of trans kids or of the rainbow community were being called groomers and pedos by pretty much everybody that wants to oppress us. And somebody said, well, there ought to be a law. Well, turns out that there is. And turns out that there was a legal decision that came down that says that if anyone calls someone they happen not to know, just randomly, a groomer or a pedo, well, that type of discourse does not really contribute anything of value to society and therefore cannot be considered freedom of expression when a slap suit is called. So essentially, if somebody does that, you are legally entitled if you have the means. With us today, we have Mr. Douglas Judson with us, who is a partner at Judson Howie LLP which is a law firm based in North, Northwest Ontario. And Mr. Judson was the legal counsel or is the legal counsel to Rainbow Alliance Trident, who was the, the organization that brought this case to court. So kids and cubs. Oh, well, before we do that, Mr. Grizzly, how's your mental health today? <laughs> I was a little too excited. Yeah, you get a little rambunctious there. That's okay. It's Christmas morning, right? Well, right. You know. When this airs, it's Christmas morning. So I'm going to guess my mental health is pretty good. Pretty good. Going to eat some turkey, maybe have a glass of wine, spend some time with some family. Yeah, it'll be a good day. Good day. Yep. And if I'm projecting into the future, I'm with my Beaver Sweeties family, and I am about to eat way too much. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. Kids and cups, please put your hands up and give a round of applause to a man with a very good name. Douglas Judson. (laughs) Welcome to the Beaver Lodge, sir. Hi there. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Ah, we're doing really great. Thank you so much for doing this at such short notice. My pleasure. 
Before we do anything, because we always we start our show by asking people how their mental health is doing, and we also ask it of our guests, how's your mental health today, sir? It's good. I am I'm coasting in just Christmas holidays now. I feel when you've written your last exam and it's behind you and mm-hmm. you are setting the cruise control for a good time. So that's where I am right now. That's a, so I, I hope other people are in that space too or getting there soon. Oh, good, good. Well, we hope we have see you have some wonderful time with family and friends. Lots of love and laughter planned. You have been involved in a really interesting case. I was wondering if you could first tell me a little bit about you in terms of what attracted you to the law and then what how did this, how this case came to your attention. Absolutely. So I'm a lawyer with my own firm uh, in Northwestern Ontario. We practice in Fort Francis, which is a small town on the Minnesota border about halfway between Thunder Bay and Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our clients are are based in that region, but we do work across the province. I initially became a lawyer because I had worked in politics. I used to work for my local MP and okay. I was I saw law as a tool for change and advocacy in support of the communities that I that I cared about. As I got more into my legal education and then beginning my practice, turns out one of the communities I care most about is the 2S LGBTQ community, not just my geographic community, but this other one. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, sometimes it feels like we, it's a bit of a whack-a-mole with the challenges that, that, that the queer and trans community in particular faces in Canada and especially mm-hmm. the United States. And this case presented itself, I, I think, at an opportune time to see if we could get some clarity in an area of law that would provide, in our view, a, a useful tool to members of that community that are facing a lot of hatred, a lot of defamatory, libelous commentary attributed to their identity. Right. And is there a reason in particular why issues of this community in specific appeal to you? So I am gay, de- gay identifying. My partner, my okay. firm is my spouse. We are the only, probably one of the only 100% LGBT-owned law firms in, in Ontario. So that's something we're a little bit proud of. And I've been active on like queer legal issues and, and other LGBT and pride-related advocacy for a number of years. So these cases are, are fascinating to me. And they're high stakes, right? You don't want to screw mm-hmm. them up. Because it's not just about your client, but there's a bunch of other people who are watching and are depending on you to do a good job when you take on litigation like this. Just so you know, I am also uh, rainbow identifying, and my good friend Mr. Grizzly is not, but a very staunch ally. So I hold it against him tonight. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the reason as soon as I saw the article, I thought, wow, okay, let's see if we can get this on because we thought that this deserves much more profile than it is getting, even though uh, it is getting some decent profile. For our audience, because oddly enough, the network with which we're associated, the Cryer Media Network, is also the subject of a slap suit based from other people at the whole Proud Network, Canada Proud. Oh, oh, Proud. Also, oh, yeah. um, you froze sorry, for a sec uh, there. <laughs> I think we froze for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So Network is also the subject of a slap suit as a result of the whole Canada Proud Network. And one of our collaborators, Mr. David Wallace, has also been the subject of a slap suit. Maybe for our audience, could you explain what a slap suit is and how and why it is used? Absolutely. So a SLAP is an acronym, actually. It's S-L-A-P-P. And what it stands for is Strategic Litigation Against Public Participation. Sometimes people call these gag proceedings because they're muzzling people, gagging them from engaging in expressive activity or public participation on a matter of importance. A classic SLAP suit, an example of one, would be where you have a small grassroots organization that speaks out on something that's important to their community, and then a large multinational corporation comes in and tries to scare them from saying these Mm. negative things about them by threatening them with the burden and cost of litigation. And because we live in a democracy, and we generally want people to participate in that system and to Mm. communicate about things that are in the public interest, Ontario now has an anti-slap law. And so what happens is when a plaintiff sues a defendant, the defendant, if they feel that the suit is a slap that is trying to muzzle them from communicating on something of importance to the public, they can early on in the litigation bring a motion before a judge and try to convince the judge that this proceeding is in the public interest and I should be allowed to to continue expressing myself in this way. If the judge agrees with them, they dismiss the litigation. If not, then it continues in the usual course towards trial. 
probably for obvious reasons, usually slap suits take the form of a defamation proceeding. Usually the plaintiff is saying that you are saying these things that are harmful to my reputation. So most of the slap decisions we've seen since the since this legislation was adopted in Ontario are couched within the world of defamation. Okay. Now, in this case, is Rainbow Alliance Dryden the plaintiff or the defendant? In this case, Rainbow Alliance Dryden, which is our client, is the local pride organization in Dryden, Ontario. Dryden is a small town of about 8,000 people in northwestern Ontario. They are the plaintiff. They have sued an individual named Brian Webster, who is the defendant. And they have sued Mr. Webster because he administers a Facebook page where he has made a publication, a post, using images and words, which describe Rainbow Alliance Dryden, this is our allegation, and 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 a local drag performer as, a, as groomers and people who have been following some of the political discourse current times and also historically mm-hmm. will know that the suggestion is that these people who are LGBT are out to endanger children. They are there to recruit people to become homosexuals or, or transgender. They are there to endanger children. They are perverts. They are pedophiles. That's essentially what that word uh, means and is intended to mean when it is weaponized against queer and trans people. And in this case, and more recently, uh, against the drag community. All right. So a, a cadre of ghouls. Yes. Well, I, when I hear things like that, they're trying to recruit people into homosexuality. Okay, stop. Just, I want to slap people for that. Literally slap them. Uh, you don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, but it's ridiculous. It's like, well, yeah, yeah we, we, you can, they can do that. Sure. Uh, and conversion therapy works too. Yes, it does. Okay. If you're straight, let's see if we can convert you to gay. It doesn't work that way. Well, my friends, you just defeated the purpose of your argument. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's this whole discourse has emerged with the the growth and popularity of drag story times, typically that are held at schools or public libraries or other mm-hmm. locations. Um, sort of the right wing opposition to those events, as though they are not age appropriate or they are subjecting children to sexualized material, which is, is frankly absurd. Anyone who's mm-hmm. ever been to a drag story time knows that really the purpose of it is to provide a positive representation of gender and diversity and positive messaging to young people that can touch on themes of personal safety and well-being and inclusion in society and recognition of diverse families around them at very formative years in their life. That's generally the the thrust of, of these drag story events. But um, people have weaponized that and, and, and turned that into a slur, uh, suggesting that they are grooming or intending to harm or recruit people into young people into into homosexuality or to become transgender or something else. How much you want to bet a lot of these folks own Poison's first album? (laughs) What was the line from that, the television series, The Peacemaker, where John Cena is flipping through records and he goes, ah, Poison's first record, man, the 80s rock. Back when men weren't afraid to be women. My goodness, right? (laughs) I I, I would just add, of course, without forgetting, it promotes literacy. Yes. Yes. reading and we actually want people to read it would seem so it seems like a very odd activity reading to children to pick on for a slap suit yeah so and that's what happened in this case uh, mr webster uh, posted what, what he actually posted was screenshots of a cbc news article that was reporting on a series of drag events that the pride organizers in dryden had planned and those events included a drag brunch that was family oriented a drag story time event for children at the public library and then there was one single event that was an evening event for age of majority only and the posts basically said that the people that were in the photos of the posts that were organizing the events were groomers and had an agenda and it was very clear in the language of the post which you can read in the decision which is a public document that it was referring to the individuals whose names and photos appeared in the post and so that was the basis for our clients to bring their defamation claim against the defendant. And the defendant responded with an anti-slap motion, trying to argue that I am expressing myself in a matter of public opinion. This is about the CBC's reporting. It's about age appropriateness. It's about all these other, the editorial spin of publicly funded media and tried to make it about that. Fast forward to last week and uh, he was unsuccessful on that in that argument. So the litigation is moving ahead. 
All right. So in this case, would it regard as it pertains to the slap, the legal decision is that if I'm understanding correctly, saying that calling people groomers and pedos, particularly random people who you don't know and whose intent you can't possibly be aware of, mm -hmm. is not considered an actual opinion. It's not considered a matter of public interest. It, making those sort of hate-motivated comments about people that you have no nugget of truth about, nothing about, to be able to assert those opinions is not a matter of public interest. Now, Obviously, there is some nuance to this, to the, you know, the, the domain of subject matter we're talking about, right? A person can talk about, certainly many parents probably have the conversations from time to time about, oh, should my kid be learning about this in school at this point in time? Or why is CBC or CTV reporting on this topic in this way? Or why didn't they ask that question? Those are all, I think, matters that are of public interest, that are of important to public debate and topics that are out there. But this post was asserting that these people that you see here have an agenda to groom children. That's what it said. It was about those individuals. It was not just an opinion in the air about nothing. It wasn't about a matter of public discourse. It was about our clients. And so, and the court agreed with us. And importantly, the anti-slap test is somewhat complex. There's three stages to it. The initial stage is a kind of a litmus test. It's a, a, a threshold uh, where the judge just asks like high level, is it a matter of public interest that we're talking about? And the judge said, nope, it's not. That is the best outcome we could hope for because it means there's no funny business about whether in some situations calling people groomers that are not groomers in any way, <laughs> in any sense of the term, there's no debate then about whether that's an appropriate thing. Um, to say about those individuals. It is not a matter of public interest. And there's a, a lot of great commentary in the court's decision about how these this commentary has been weaponized against historically marginalized community. And we put in expert evidence to the court about what that history looked like so that the court was equipped to make those findings. I'm kind of going to guess you had to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and double check everything when you took this on because... Uh, it's the weight of this, it's precedent setting, of course, and, and, and the heavy load, the heavy lifting you have to do to make this change. It's, this will be, this is in the history books is what I'm getting at. So I, well, I can guess that you took this on as a personal thing, even though it was not directed at you personally. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. Well, I would say that I can't take credit for everything here. We had, there's two lawyers from my firm who worked on this, but we also had support from our co-counsel at my old firm, McCarthy Tatro in Toronto. So we had some lawyers there assisting us. And then EGAL Canada, which many people know is a, a national LGBT advocacy organization, intervened in the case to provide um, submissions to the court to further assist it on the issues it was dealing with. Um, all of that effort was marshaled because, as you say, this was high stakes. If we were to lose on something like this, you could imagine the floodgates being mm -hmm. open on, okay. oh, the court says it's okay for us to express that queer people are pedophiles, and so we're going to do it all the time now. That would be a nightmare scenario for 2S LGBT people. I think it would also be a nightmare scenario for other vulnerable, marginalized groups in Canada that would be worried about what sort of smears are now fair game. Uh, one, of the, one of the arguments that was made by the defendant was he actually put in his motion record, his evidence before the court that, well, Maxine Bernier says the drag, drag performances aren't, aren't suitable for children and all these other, I searched, there's all this news coverage about drag story times being challenged. How is it not a matter of public interest? And that's, that was the danger of this is that, are we going to draw a line around public interest that is going to be self-aware enough not to just decide, well, a lot of people are talking about this really hateful stuff, so therefore it is a matter of public interest. And that was a worry at the front mm -hmm. end of this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what what in the decision, was there anything specifically said about that that, that ruled or to, to support the fact that it is not in the public interest? Um, at the merits 
stage of the test, essentially the way it works is the judge looks at, does it appear that there's the elements of defamation here? And does it appear that the defendant doesn't maybe have the elements of the defense they say they do in defamation? And so that's the lens it's all viewed through. So the decision doesn't get into a whole lot of that. And I think for good reason, I don't think the courts necessarily want to get into political commentary or opining on whether people who hold or pursue elected office are, are actually engaging in public interest discussion. But okay. through the lens of that commentary, I think we can draw some conclusions about what the court was able to arrive at for its conclusions. Okay. So basically, if there were three, three phases, this one basically failed on the first phase. So there's no re reason to go to the second or third. That's right. And often what judges will do is they will say, well, this fails on the first step, but I'm going to do the analysis of the next steps anyway, just because that way we know what the outcome would have been. And in this case, our judge uh, said that this fails the first step, but I actually would have found that it failed on the next steps as well. So we got a very comprehensive decision that says, even if I'm wrong on the first step, this is not a matter of public interest on any of the uh, subsequent phases of this legal test either. So okay. very solid decision. All right. So what would the next steps have been? and if there was, if you have any information as to on what basis the judge had decided that, if you could share that with us, we'd appreciate that. Sorry, the next steps in the litigation process. The, uh, in, in the let's say, if it had passed the first test, what have, what would have been the second or third tests? Sure. So the second step is the second phase is called the the merits based hurdle, where we talk about whether the elements of defamation are made out or not, mm -hmm. and whether the defendant has what appears to be the elements of a defense. So here the judge looked at the expression that we were complaining about in our litigation and mm -hmm. said, yes, this looks like defamation. It is a publication made by this person. It is about these people. It appears to be defamatory and that is harmful to reputation. On the, on the whether there's a defense side, she looks at that and says, well, the defendant says that he is engaging in fair comment, which is one of the types of defenses right. you can have to defamation. And she went through the elements of fair comment in her decision and was able to conclude that the elements of fair comment were not sufficiently satisfied in her view for, for that to be made out. If we get through the second step, that's the second step. The third stage is we look at the public interest balancing aspect. So it must be remembered that anti-slap is about striking a balance between the need to protect reputation, but also the need to foster public debate on matters of legitimate public interest. Okay. And so at that stage, the judge looks at the public interest in protecting that person's reputation versus the public interest in allowing that discourse to take place in public. So in this case, she concluded that uh, she was unable to arrive at, at a decision that there was any public interest in allowing the expression. Uh, to be made and dismissing this legal action against the defendant. So we're very happy with that outcome. Right. Now, hypothetically, if the case had been the other way around where Rainbow Alliance Dryden was the defendant, not the plaintiff. So let's say Mr. We Webster. Webster had sued them. Would there have been material for a countersuit as either a malicious prosecution or a vexatious litigant? Well, we actually have a case like that, not my firm, but in mm -hmm. uh, in the jurisprudence that is similar but opposite. So you might have, have read about earlier this year, there was a case called Neufeld and Hansman that came from the Supreme Court of Canada. And this case is, is almost the reverse facts of ours. So what happened was out in BC, which also has an anti-slap law, there was a, a school board trustee that was saying things that his name was Neufeld, that Hansman, who was a teacher, felt were, were transphobic, were, were, were bigoted. And Hansman expressed himself to that effect, basically called out that he didn't think these comments were appropriate, felt mm -hmm. they were uh, transphobic. Neufeld, the Webster in that story, sued, sued Hansman for defamation. That case went all the way up to the Supreme Court, took a long time to get there. And what we got over the summer was a decision from the Supreme Court of Canada that actually applied the anti-slap law, but recognized that there was a public interest in allowing Mr. Hansman to engage in counter speech, counter speech being expression that is asserted to protect the interests or, or stand up for a historically marginalized community. Okay. I actually think that decision is the first decision we have from the Supreme Court of Canada that actually uses the word transgender in it. And it's the first one that recognizes the historic marginalization 
of that community. And if you take that decision Ooh. compared to ours, I think what you're seeing is that we have courts applying anti-slap law in a way that's recognizing the social context in which this type of expression occurs. On the one mm. hand, saying that, yes, you can stand up for marginalized communities without worried about being sued for it. On the other hand, saying that we're not going to allow people to engage in freewheeling hate speech and then run for cover under anti-slap laws and say that it was on a matter of public interest. I think that is a good legal framework for marginalized communities that are, or, or their allies that are looking to engage in public activity on these issues. So taken together, it's almost like it covers all bases. Yeah, there's a lot of nuance, absolutely. Yeah. But I, I think that we are getting a more sophisticated framework that is acknowledging uh, the circumstances of these types of communities. And I, I think that's really important. This case in particular that, that we did, the, the, the one in Dryden, one of the reasons that we recognized it as so important is that we know that online hatred is directly connected to real life incidents of physical violence and hatred. Oh, yeah, precisely. Um, and, and one of the things we did, and so that's one of the reasons that it was really important to us to be successful. But uh, one of the things we did um, to support our case is we actually brought in expert evidence. It's a thing you can do in court. You can bring in an expert on a, on a qualify them as an expert for the judge. Um, and that person can assist the court in better understanding whatever their field or discipline happens to be. In this case, we had two experts. One of them presented historical context for what drag is to understand its significance mm -hmm. to the LGBT community. The other expert talked about the history of groomer rhetoric and this idea that mm. LGBT people are trying to recruit others or, or engage in pedophilic child luring and things of that nature. As part of that expert report, I just want to share with you some of the information that was shared, that was put in it. And we referred to studies. So this one study that was cited looked at over 980,000 tweets that were posted between January 1st and July 27th, 2022, that mentioned the LGBT community alongside the words groomer, predator, and pedophile. Well, how many were there in that short amount of time? 989,547. Wow. Now, oh, what's, word. that's a big number, but what's even more striking about it is that the average number of tweets per day using slurs such as groomer and pedophile in relation to LGBTQ people surged by 406% in the month after a don't say gay education bill was passed in Florida. Whoa. Okay. So, so it wasn't just me when I noticed that something was wrong. Yeah, so it, it, exactly. Like we're, we're seeing spikes in this sort of rhetoric around real life political events and other occasions. Um, here's a, you know, a darker example. Um, you will recall the Colorado Springs nightclub. Yes. In yes. 2022. Researchers who studied online activity around that event found that usage of the term groomer on Twitter from the period prior to the shooting to the period immediately after showed a dramatic spike in frequency. So again, uh, there's a suggestion, and this was a venue that had hosted drag stories, events for all ages, that um, we are seeing this online rhetoric mobilizing actual hate and violence. So it was important to us that we were successful on this motion so that we weren't inadvertently creating a shelter for people to engage in even more of that type of expression. Wow. Oh, wow. Wild. Okay. Because it was funny because I was having a conversation at one point and somebody said, did you notice that this something that happened was particular? And said, it seemed like it was a bit much, but I hadn't. Those numbers are astounding. They really wow. are. They really are. Wow. Now you say that this slap decision was in the context of a broader case. So this was one element of a case that needed to be resolved before the rest of the case would go forward. Yeah. So any piece of litigation might have one or several motions along the path to getting to trial where it's finally disposed of. So this is a anti-slap is typically a preliminary motion very early on in the litigation process. Now that the litigation has survived the anti-slap motion, it will continue. It will move forward to trial in the usual course. We don't know when that will happen, when we'll bring it to a close, but uh, certainly we're eager to move ahead and, and hopefully be successful on the broader issue of actual findings on the merits that these comments attributed to LGBT people, to members of the drag community are defamatory. This case, th this motion decision was really about, is this type of expression 
related to a matter of public interest? The answer is no, which is great, but actually getting findings that these comments were also defamatory and that if you're going to do this stuff, it's going to cost you. I think that would be another significant victory for the queer community. So what is the broader litigation that this motion was brought within? It's this case. So it's the defamation claim covering the Alliance Dryden against Mr. Webster. We do have another action, almost the same facts, where we're representing two other drag performers that were also subject to the same type of expression made by the same defendant. It is our hope that they will move forward together around the same time. The issues are very similar. The expression is very similar. So hopefully we will get some some positive legal developments out of those in the near future. Okay. Now... People from the right who are anti-LGBTQIA plus have been looking at this decision and say, oh my God, this is so shameful. This is so horrible. My thing is when I look at decisions like this is how is this also in your interest, you who do not like this? So those who are complaining that this is unfair, how could the same decision be used to help them against statements made against them. Mm -hmm. I I think that is um, exactly how you need to read this, is that this type of decision will also protect other people who are subject to completely unsubstantiated slurs that are not matters of fair comment related to their actual record or behavior or anything anything else. In in the current climate, I, I would suggest that using very loaded terminology to define people who have mild political differences with us. I'm not talking about extreme political differences, but mild political differences with us as Nazis or something like that. I I would suggest that might fall into a a, a similar bucket here. I I think that what we're getting at is not so much... The the one thing I really want to flag with this decision is that we are... We're talking about a historically marginalized group that's the subject of the vilification. And I think that is always going to factor into the analysis uh, when we're looking at slurs that are thrown out there. I don't necessarily, I don't think you can bring a successful defamation claim because someone calls you a moron or something like that. Like that's not going to, that's not going to fly. Um, And because of that counter speech decision that we talked about from the Supreme Court, you also can't bring a defamation claim if I call you a bigot when you're doing things that are probably are bigoty. So it's so it's a complicated area and it's context dependent. But at the end of the day, this benefits everyone because it means that people cannot can't throw unsubstantiated slurs at us and then claim that, well, this is a topic of public interest right now. Everyone's talking about it. And therefore, I was doing the same thing and I shouldn't have to face liability or consequences for the vile things that I said about these this other group or these people. Okay. So basically, if I'm understanding, is that somebody, if I stand in defense of the trans community and somebody calls me a pedo or a groomer, I can't in turn go and shut up, you Nazi. That decision, the same decision that prevents them from calling me a pedo is the same decision that prevents me from calling, labeling them a Nazi. Well, I think it's always going to be in shades, right? And what in shades. What but... I was trying to say is that I don't know that calling someone who isn't part of an identifiable group a slur like the one you just described necessarily is going to sit at the same level of uh, of offense and, and revulsion as referring to a historically marginalized community in this very deeply hateful and, and, and vile terminology. Okay. Okay, interesting. Oh. Well, it, it, I think it makes a lot of sense what you say, how that, I'm, so I'm just wrapping my head around all of this because it's a lot of information to take in. And I think it's uh, important that calling somebody a moron is not the same thing as, as taking somebody who's a member of a marginalized group and marginalizing them further. Uh-huh. It's not even the same realm. <laughs> well, it's not in the same realm, period. Well, and I think it also, you have to think about, are the things that are being said about the subject of that expression do they really, do they go to the person's character? Do they mm-hmm. go to the person's, if I'm calling someone a groomer, I'm saying there is something deeply innately flawed about that person, that they have predilections towards, of a sexual nature towards young people, that is obviously very damning. I think saying that someone is, you know, stupid or you know, using a word to that effect, I, I don't know that necessarily carries with it the same baggage. And, and I, I would imagine that the court would not really entertain that sort of that sort of claim but 
we we develop the law through new facts. It's always right. going to be there'll always be another case uh, that will turn on on a different factual matrix, and we'll have to look at it within that context. But for this one, um, I think the big takeaway is that we have now case law that says that you can engage in counter speech within reasonable limits to assert the your concern about comments targeting vulnerable groups. And we also have case law that says that your attacks on vulnerable groups that are completely unmeritorious are not going to benefit from anti-slap protections. Right. Well, I can see what you're saying because accusing someone of being a pedophile is like one of the absolute worst things imaginable like that you could that, say about another person. Yeah, like I would say that it's up there with calling somebody a terrorist or something mm -hmm. like that. It's, mm -hmm. We're talking about very extreme, morally condemnable types of, of labels. So I, I think that there's no question, and the court has repeatedly found that referring to people falsely as pedophiles or as engaging in some sort of lurid sexual activity like that is defamatory. Would these types of decisions also, for example, be able to be used, for example, let's say environmentalists, and then somebody starts to call them eco-terrorists, and they wanted to say, turn around and say, whoa, wait a minute, we're like chaining ourselves to a tree, we're not blowing things up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a hazard to even weigh into it without having facts of what that looks like. So I don't know what you're doing this weekend. <laughs> but if, if we'll have to wait and see like how this landscape plays out. As you mentioned at the outset of our recording today, uh, you're familiar with anti-slap law simply because there's been a few of them in your orbit. Um, yeah. Cases. And I think it is an area that's growing and it's becoming more nuanced and we're seeing a lot more activity. Um, particularly as our political climate becomes a bit more heated uh, and terse. And I think people are looking for new tools to to stand up for themselves and also hold others accountable. Wow, that's really interesting. Can you tell us a little bit, a bit about Rainbow Alliance Dryden? And I guess, like, how did they come to you? Or did you see that? And did you offer your services to them? Yeah, I'm involved in the pride uh, community of our region. So I've, I've been familiar with them for a number of years. Like a lot of rural parts of Ontario and Canada, pride is still a new movement to their community, but is growing mm -hmm. and it's popular. And I'm involved in the pride organization in my own community, which has only been around since 2018. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that despite all of the all of the assumptions that people in larger centers may make about small places, about rural Canada, about its openness to diversity and inclusion, mm -hmm. I, I think you'd be very pleasantly surprised in a lot of parts of the province. Like when June rolls around, you see a lot of rainbow flags around. You see a lot of um, local businesses, other organizations participating uh, in these initiatives. And uh, Rainbow Alliance Dryden is a great example of that. They've done a lot of tremendous work in the Dryden area. And um, I, I think that bringing in uh, drag performers and nurturing drag culture locally is part of that effort to celebrate that that diversity in these in these small places. Hmm. Nice, nice. I well, like and it's, it's something because I grew up in a lot of small towns, military kid, and mm. to be a member of a marginalized community like that in a small town in the 70s and 80s was nothing like it is today. Back then, hmm. you found the biggest closet you could because it, it was scary to be who you are back then. And it's still, it, it is today too, I'm certain for a lot of people, I have no doubt. But we've advanced a lot as a society and we've noticed and, and Douglas when you were on Dean's show talking about this it's like why all of a sudden are we backsliding we've gone so far forward and all of a sudden just in the last nine months to a year things have gone back to like the 1950s in many respects it's like what is going on here there's a I'm not going to go down the conspiratorial route but that rabbit hole we could beyond forever. The religious zealots in, in certain parts of the country, in certain parts of the United States, and, and that are ensconced within political parties are all a part of this. And you look at what the governor, Ron DeSantis, did in Florida and what he's doing in Florida, and you think if we don't, and it's incumbent upon somebody like myself, who is cis, het, white, male, top of the white privilege pyramid, it's important that I stand up and make statements about things like this and say, no, this is wrong. We can't have this. You are marginalizing people even further, and I'm not going to stand for it. And I'm somebody who, realistically, how could this harm me personally? It can't. But, but it harms people I know and love. So now I take it personally, and I can't stand for it. 
You know, I can tell you up till 2022, I was a city councilor and one of my greatest frustrations in that role of having a front row seat to the small town politics, which I think is similar in a lot of places, is that you will encounter a lot of people who I think view themselves as very progressive, very, or, or not even progressive. They, they view themselves as being welcoming. Let's just use that. Let's just start there. They say well, they're welcoming. They will, they, they want um, to celebrate diversity in their community. They want to be seen to be one of the movers and shakers who's at, who's going to the pride parade and going to the reconciliation events and participating in those types of activities. And yet when there's a big enough push from the other side, they're very quick to both sides of the discussion mm -hmm. and to say, well, I don't like the way that I don't, I'm not standing with this marginalized group because I don't like the way they've expressed themselves in opposition to this, or that's just not how I like to do things, or I'm not going to the pride parade because they've been speaking out too vocally lately. And I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that. And you see a lot of that sort of, I call it the, you know, <laughs> the white moderates. I think other people call it that historically too. Um, and, and I think that is a challenge we face. And I think that uh, politically at a, at, a, at a bigger level, what's going on is we reach this point um, with our governments where I think people become sick of them. Um, governments are changed like diapers, often for the same reasons. And uh, I, I think that it is, we're, we're reaching that point with the federal government where there's a lot of pushback, a lot of um, search for change and people are also hurting economically. So they're willing to overlook things that they would not, not normally accept. And I, I think that is a scary place for equity seeking groups uh, in Canada. I think it's uh, a scary place on the internet right now because of it. Uh, and I think that we have a class of politicians right now that are engaging in comments and expressing opinions that are giving license to people that want to engage in online hatred and bigotry. And that's a problem as well. Right. So for our viewers and our listeners who are hearing this, what is the main takeaway that they should keep, they should have from this decision? I think the, the main thing, I'm assuming we're somewhat preaching to the choir here on this show, Probably, but I, I think the main thing is that what, what the court has told us is that we have defamation law as a tool for 2S LGBTQ folks and presumably for other equity-seeking groups or members of those groups uh, to protect their reputations when they're attacked with these very unfair, very vile comments um, like the groomer rhetoric that we've seen online um, over the past number of years. And the court has said that type of commentary is not going to attract a public interest protection. Uh, that gives an important accountability tool um, to our communities. It, it puts the law on our side to be able to pursue those claims on their merits in court. And I think that is that is good news for people that are in public facing leadership roles on 2S LGBT issues or doing community organizing or organizing drag brunches who are, I, I think, feeling intimidated in the current climate because of what people might say, what, um, what might happen, what might be put in the newspaper, what might show up in their mail. Uh, I think that this is going, this sends a message, this type of decision, that there could be consequences that attach to those, that kind of hate speech. And I hope that encourages people to keep up some of the great work that they're inclined to do wherever they live. Okay. Now, in the Supreme Court case that you referenced, of course, because it's a Supreme Court case, it's natural, is national, but this one was an Ontario court case. Mm -hmm. Is there anything about this jurisprudence-wise that could be used by litigants in other provinces? Should they want to bring, should the, there's been, should there have not been a decision like this in their province and they want to bring a case like this? Well, it depends whether the province has an anti-slap law in it. So okay. right now, Ontario, I believe Ontario and BC are the only provinces that have anti-slap laws. Um, mm. Probably someone, a lawyer who listens to this will probably write you and tell you that I'm wrong about that. But that's where most of the jurisprudence comes from is Ontario and BC. And so if you're in those provinces, you have the benefit of anti-slap law. Now, if you're not in those provinces, you can still bring defamation claims. So that's a matter of common law for the most part. And all it means is that your defendant can't even try to bring an anti-slap motion like Mr. Webster did because that doesn't exist in that province. I think there's still tools out there. I think anti-slap law is catching on as an important tool in our democratic discourse. And so we might see more of these legal frameworks emerge in other provinces. But I think that this is a reminder that we don't need to take as a community, these types of comments sitting down. 
You don't need to accept that people are smearing you on the internet as, as a sexual deviant because you've decided to organize a story time event. There are tools available to deal with that. And I know there's a number of great members of the legal community across Canada that would provide consultations if people ever had questions or concerns about that. Okay. So one of the things we say on this show is because democracy is something that you do. If you happen to be in a province that doesn't have anti-slap legislation, this might be something that for which those communities would like to pressure their governments to include, let's say, as a, as a, or potential governments, political parties include in their platforms. Yeah, I think it's uh, certainly something that people may wish to advocate for. Like I said, w when you're the plaintiff, you don't necessarily want there to be an anti-slap law. However, right. if you're um, the defendant, like Mr. Hansman in that Supreme Court decision, and you have called out someone for their transphobic public commentary and then get sued for defamation, anti-slap law is your friend. There's there it cuts on both sides, but that's the point of the test is that right. it is there to strike a balance between the public interest in expression on matters of, of importance like that and also the interest in protecting reputation on the other side. Okay. So before we go, I would suspect that given you have had success in this matter up until now, if there are other uh, organizations in Ontario who would like to be able to call on you, should they have a similar case, how would they find you? So uh, many people find us on social media. I'm on Twitter. It's at D.W. Judson, J-U-D-S-O-N. You can also just Google my name, Douglas Judson. You'll probably get a ton of hits. Some of them are obituaries. Don't write to those people. And uh, you can get in touch on these types of issues. We always try to work with people within their means. If there's something we can support them, them on, we have a number of LGBT organizations and other individuals on different types of legal issues that we provide support to through our firm. And that's work that we really care about. So we'd love to do it. I just right. followed you on the Twitter. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> well, Douglas, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I'm sure our viewers and our listeners will be uh, very happy uh, to have had this opportunity to explore the subject because uh, I know that over the course of the summer, there's been a lot of people with eyes as big as Toonies going, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. How is this allowed? And I think it's a refreshing and bring some peace of mind to people to know that there is a now a manner to defend against this yes we are taming some of the wild west of these ugly things that are going on a little bit at a time like you said there's always a new problem a new permeation of it's going to emerge but for today we have a i think a great victory for us lgbt folks and, and the drag community in ontario and i'm i'm optimistic about what direction this this case in particular will go right well, thank you. Thank you so very much. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your service to the community. As a member of the Rainbow community, I particularly am grateful <laughs> and thankful that there are people like you who are willing to take these things on and put your knowledge and your passion to the service of the broader community. Thanks. And I just want to, before I go, just once again, thank you, Gal Canada, for intervening on this. Mm, this yes. was impossible without their assistance. I also want to recognize our co-counsel um, at McCarthy Tatro, whose expertise and support in this litigation was just absolutely monumental to getting us the result that, that we got in this motion. So thank you very much. Appreciate your, your willingness to have me on today. All right. Well, thank you. We thank really you. do appreciate it. And we want to celebrate Canadians who do good things for all of Canada. And what you've done is good for all of Canada. Some people right, might now might not realize it because they're freaking out because they think they've suddenly lost their free speech, which is not a thing in Canada. We have freedom of expression. <laughs> yeah, don't tell them with the list of banned words, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ed. You take care. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And for the kids and cubs listening, if you don't know, EGAL is Equality for Gays and Lesbians Everywhere. They it's been around for a long, long time. Standing, long, long time. And uh, if you remember our conversation that we had with Murray Billet mm. some time ago when we talked about uh, the 25th anniversary of the Supreme Court deciding that discrimination against the rainbow community was not constitutional, EGAL played a role in that case as well. They've been very involved for a very long time. I really and, like uh, his suit in, in, in his, sorry, I know. Squirrel. Yes. But it, I just, because I just followed him on Twitter. That's a great suit, sir. I'm just letting you know if you're watching the episode, that's a great suit. I like it a lot. And Mr. Grizzly knows style. So, <laughs> hey, you got the gene, my friend. Yeah. You have any thoughts or impressions, Mr. Grizzly? Well, a, a lot of thoughts, a lot of impressions, and, and trying to collect them and, and form a coherent soliloquy, if you will. Uh, to take on something like that to begin with is, I think it's incredibly daring. 
bold, mm. brave, because the kind of blowback you'll get from just doing We should it. have asked if that had happened. Right? Well, we'll have that. him on again and talk to him in the future after things have gone through all the way. Mm-hmm. But it, it's to take on a case like this on yourself. Basically, he's the face of the case, if you will, in this. Right. That's pretty darn brave, if you ask me. And, and obviously, this is somebody who cares very deeply about equal rights, equality, and righting wrongs because, again, like it or not, the rainbow community is a marginalized community. The trans community is hyper marginalized. Yes, it's even more so it. today than ever before. Yeah, and they, the way they go on about they're grooming drag queens are grooming. I'm like, well, drag queens aren't trans usually to begin with. They're just mm-hmm. men dressed as women. Uncle Milty used to do in the fifties. Milton mm-hmm. Berle, mm-hmm. Bob Hope, like. Rudy Jack Giuliani. Lemon, yep. Mayor Giuliani, that's right. <laughs> All of that's a sudden saying. it's become this horrible thing. Now, somebody asked me if I'd be ever willing to do a drag show and I'm like, I'm not, I don't really Charity? have, I don't have it in me. I'm not a, I don't, yeah. there's nothing feminine about me, dude. <laughs> that's the problem. Make it funny. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, I would know. do it for charity. I'm way too hairy. <laughs> yeah, that, you'd have to shave everything. Like, I, I'm uh, I'm a little too butch, uh, grizzly, right? So, right. Uh, uh, if it was, if we could raise awareness and, and, and create some money for charity, I'm, yeah, you could probably twist my rubber arm. Me, I'm easy yeah. to do things as long as we can raise money for something that I care about. And marginalized communities are one of them, which is why I always my charity of choice is, is Cornerstone Housing for Women. Which, because right. they do a lot of work with the LGBT community as well. Yeah. But I, think, I already I think, play a bit on that with my Queen Beaver persona anyway. Exactly. But I think Douglas has, has really put himself out there in this instance. And wow, the, 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 taking on a case of this nature, it really is mind-blowing to me because it's certainly it's a lot of bravery. It's certainly a lot of conviction. But I am curious to find out how much blowback he's getting from this. And to that what are his coping mechanisms does he have the support now i'm assuming he does because there's a dude who was very self-assured and confident in that oh yeah like he's chill as can be so i'm going to assume that he probably has a very good support network in place and maybe in an instance such as this you put filters on your social media so that you don't get the hate yeah because you don't have to see it if you don't want to right i had to put filter a lot of stuff after my episode because of the death threats I was getting amongst other things. You got to grow a thick skin sometimes. And sometimes that's not easy to do. And the older you get, the easier it becomes, I think, because you just start giving less of a damn about what anybody cares and thinks about you. But uh, Douglas isn't that old. He's, I know he's considerably younger than me. Mm -hmm. Good on you, brother. Like way to go, man. Like doing the right thing for the right reason to protect somebody who needs to be protected, a group of people that need to be protected. And I respect the hell out of that. Mm -hmm. I was really impressed when he mentioned at the end that McCarthy Tetra was involved because that is a big prestigious law firm. Yes. Yes. Like, I don't know the names of many law firms right off the top of my tongue, but that is one I do know. I think that's the one that Josh Hare was working for. Could be. If I'm not mistaken. Before he joined uh, the conservative leadership race. Yeah, we'd if have I'm to check mistaken. into that. You might be right, though. But yeah. it's one of those things is where when you have a, a law firm, let's not get into the nitty gritty of some silly, some of the silly cases that are before the courts for ridiculous things. But there's a lot of good law firms that do a lot of good work, such as this. And that's a big firm with a lot of money behind them. So they can go full force on this. And, and you got to wonder if it's... If it's because somebody looked at it and went, no, this is the right thing to do. Let's just do it. Or is mm-hmm. there somebody on, on on staff there that has been pushed to the margins? I'm just speculating. And I don't, that, that, is it altruistic or is it just, uh, I don't think it's, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm struggling for words. I'm tired. Self-serving? Yes. Thank you. I don't think it's self-serving at all. I think they really just, this is a good case. It, it's a precedent setting case. And it's one that we should be a part of because... It's important. It's Mm -hmm. important in Canadian law. It's important Mm -hmm. in Canadian history that we remove the ability for somebody to do that to somebody else. We have freedom of expression, but there are limitations on it. Yeah. And I just checked. Yep. McCarthy Tetra was the law firm that uh, Joshua was working out of the Montreal office. Uh, I'm glad that I asked the question about the case the other way around. 
because with regard to Cryer Media, mm -hmm. that's what's going on is that the slap suit has been launched against Cryer Media. So in this case, Cryer Media is not the complainant, is the defendant. Same right. thing for Dave Wallace. So it's uh, nice to know that in that case, there is now a Supreme Court of Canada precedent mm -hmm. that uh, perhaps could be used in, in our defense, particularly since uh, Cryer is going to be countersuing as well. It'll be uh, really interesting, and hopefully that's a bit of information that might be useful, although I'm sure that the legal representation that Dean has is probably already very much well aware of that. I have no doubt, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's the discovery aspect that I'm excited for. Me too. Well, <laughs> like I said, if, if they decide to pursue that. I was reading an article the other day about Ontario Proud, and it seems that the, the overwhelming majority of the time, mm -hmm. they have a lawyer named Ryan O'Connor, who's actually an injury lawyer. Oh, it's Chaser. Yeah, who basically keeps on send, sending messages saying, and the similar wording, it's high-handed and common mm -hmm. and you have, and a lot of people do, but Diane Marie, for example, which is an account Diane Marie posts, mm -hmm. she got one of those and she just ignored it and kept on saying it anyway. And it seems that the majority of the time they don't even follow through. No, they're just trying to scare you. That's it. Yep. That's it. So there you go. But you have to be sure that you are not saying anything. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That is, <laughs> right? If you really are in the, hey, I just called you a moron. If you're going to, you know, like this, you, you got nothing on me. But that's good for you to know, kids, as well, in terms mm -hmm. of media and political literacy. If you're saying someone's a moron, someone's a, a bigot, someone is just dumb, and you get one of those, you can probably ignore that. If you're making accusations, maybe like Nazi as belonging to a group or terrorist like this, you might be on shakier ground. Just keep your comments too. Yeah, keep them. That's just dumb. Under your breath. Why are you being weird? Yeah. Why are you being a dick? And you're probably on safe territory. I would think so, yeah. Forewarned is forearmed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, Mr. Grizzly, do we have a show? We do indeed, sir. We do indeed. All right, kids and cubs, that's the end of this episode of the Daily Beaver Morning Show, Christmas edition, with presents for you. Thank you to Mr. Douglas Judson and all the people at Judson Howie LLP and Egal and McCarthy Tetro mm -hmm. for having done the hard work to bring us this present and so that we can bring you a little Christmas joy. Remember, sharing is caring. So please tell all your peeps and poops about us because you have the mouse that we want the word coming from. Because democracy is something that you do, get your XPB shots, write your letters to your MPs, your MLAs, particularly your MPs and MLAs that are engaging on this front that are suggesting such things as gender ideology and playing footsie with this crowd, mm -hmm. let them know you're not going to have it. You don't stand for it. We're not and, putting up with this crap. Yeah. And of course, if you've uh, got a little change in your pocket for the Red Cross to help Canadians who have had a very hard summer, please do help if you can. If you can. Yes. Uh, because, so that's because democracy is something you do part. If you would like to subscribe and make sure that you do not miss an episode, please go to our pod page sponsored by the Ray girl. That's podpage.com slash the true North eager beaver, lowercase letters with a hyphen between each one of those words. And when we have something fresh off the bandwidth, we'll make sure we slide right into your Christmas stocking and we won't give you coal. You were nice today. I was nice today. It, well, it is Christmas. Mm, after all, yes. It is Christmas, and allegedly, even though it's not the actual date, the birth of the baby Jesus, so. Yeah. Sweet baby a Jesus. little respect. Baby Jesus is a good guy. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> so, we'll be nice today. A little less cheeky. Let's just put it that way. Although, I'm sure he wouldn't object to a little cheekiness. Well. A little cheekiness never hurt anybody. It's not sinful. Just a little naughty. <laughs> he had a big group of fellows he liked to hang out with and have dinner with, so I'm sure they drank a lot of wine back in those days. And I'm sure they told a few jokes. Make like Kit Elaine if you'd like to support us. Go to our True North Eager Beaver Media Incorporated YouTube site and click on Share and Subscribe. And if you like clicking on stuff, well, how about going to our coffee page? That's o-fi.com slash eager beaver, lowercase letters, all in one words. And there you can leave a little Christmas something in our stocking if you would like. But again, only after you've purchased all your presents, done mm. something nice for yourself, done something good for the world. If there's, there's something a little left over after that point, we would be honored if you would share that with us. 
if you're listening to us on Apple, Apple Reviews, please give us a review. Please give us some stars. We would really appreciate it. And if you would like to communicate it with us, our email is truenorteagerbeaver at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. From the Eager Beaver Lodge, this is your Eager Beaver saying it can be a tough world out there. So please be kind to and gentle with yourself. And uh, if you are not celebrating Christmas or if the Christmas period is the period that's a little tougher for you, please know that we are thinking of you and we're giving you a big hug. And uh, that's why we have a couple of episodes uh, during the holidays for you to keep you some company so that you feel a little less alone. Got the exactly. damn with you. We've got you. We've got you. We care about you. Mr. Grizzly, do you have some words of wisdom, please? Uh, in these strange times that we are living in, and wow, are they strange. <laughs> My goodness gracious. I, uh, I applaud, like I said, I applaud Douglas for his efforts, for his bravery, for his ability to literally change the world to be a better place. And if you can do that in some small way, that'd be great too. I can't tell you how to do that. Only you would know. Maybe you can find a way to make it, make the world a better place. You think? Yeah. Smile at somebody today. Yeah. Pay someone a compliment. Random compliments are always fun. Exactly. All right. Mr. Grizzly, please roll the credits. And I don't think we're going to have an Easter egg given the platform no, that we're using. We got, we got, we can, I, got it, I got it queued up, man. I, I know what I'm doing over here. All right. I got it all queued up. Don't worry. <laughs> you just hold your horses there, fella. I'll get you. Right. I'll get you squirt here. You are listening to a True North Eager Beaver media podcast. The True North Eager Beaver podcasts are proudly brought to you by our founding sponsors, the Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing your source for science fiction, fantasy, and cozy mysteries featuring a broad diversity of characters. CanadianTarot.com, your uniquely Canadian online eclectic tarot community and forum. And The Peppermaster, hot pepper sauces made from fresh farm ingredients to thrill your taste buds and expand your mind. Well, what you got for an Easter egg, sir? I was just wondering, since we're a couple of days before Christmas when we're recording, do you have a, something that you hope that Santa brings you? World peace. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not joking. That's what I want every year. No, I don't. There's nothing really for me that I require or want. If I want something, I get it. I just go out and buy it. And we had a discussion with her family not too long ago about how we just we're going to draw a name by one gift for one person because what do you get me <laughs> hmm. yeah i'm thinking that too however probably if i had something and it's really not sexy but apparently there are now some there's some things that you can get for when you play curling that you can wrap around your head in case you have a fall so mm. if you bump your head on the ice uh, so you can protect yourself uh, there's a helmet, but there's also like bands or toques that have some reinforcement there because a helmet is a, a, a little too hockey-ish. Um, but maybe something like that because uh, I have had what, one fall this year and almost two others. And uh, this thing's the money maker, and I am getting older, so it might be a good idea to protect the noggin. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Yeah. Not very sexy, but it's about the only thing I could think that's pretty practical that I could actually use that I haven't bought for myself yet. Mm. All right. Kids and cups, okay. Merry Christmas. Hope it's everything you wanted it to be. And if you're not celebrating and observing, I hope you have a fantastic day. See ya. See ya. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, and NBC Sports. 
Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.